I still remember my first encounter in Houston with someone who was dealing with really overt spiritual attack. It was a call I got uh, from a brother one day, and he explained that his wife was going through something, and they didn't know what it was. She was dealing with these suicidal tendencies that were so serious, he didn't feel like he could leave her at home by herself. They were gravely concerned for her life. And he reached out to me because they'd already been to psychologists, psychiatrists, taken medicine. It had only gotten worse, and things were at a feverish pitch around their place. So he asked if I could come and, and just explore the possibility of perhaps it was of spiritual nature, some sort of demonic attack on her. And so I went and showed up at their, at their place. I was still learning about spiritual warfare. Well, I'll always be learning, but I was still very much learning about what a ministry time looked like and specifically a, a deliverance from demonic attack. And, and so I walked in to that time and had the incredible privilege and joy of spending that time together with this brother and, and sister. I heard her story. My heart was broken. We walked through the prayer time together. It seemed that there was demonic attack against her. We prayed against that. It was calm. It was gentle. There was nothing crazy that happened. It looked, even on the face of it, if somebody was watching, it just looked like any other spiritual um, time of prayer. Um, and we went through that, spent a couple hours with them. I left overjoyed, just full of worship because I'd had such a sense of the power of God. You know, when the power and presence of God crashes into a place, it touches you and your heart is exalting in worship of the King. And that's what happened to me. It was such a palpable sense of the presence of power of God, I couldn't help but worship. That was my drive home. A couple days later, I got a call from the brother. He said, Peter, my wife's totally changed. He said, all those suicidal tendencies are gone. It is like she's been alleviated of all of it. And I just want to thank you for giving me my wife back. I tell you, whole family, that moment is something in my heart. It just touched me so deeply and gave me such a deep sense of conviction. I remember this prayer I prayed right after that of, Lord, do whatever you want in my life. I know so many people in our culture in America think that the idea of Satan and demons is a little bit crazy, or, or maybe they intellectually assent to the reality of Satan and demons, but the idea of spiritual warfare, they don't, they're, they're sort of uncomfortable even talking about. And if, if word gets around that I'm the guy who will pray against demons and, and, and walk in a deliverance, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that label on me. And I, I remember... Just after that moment, this, this moment of surrender I had in my own life, and I, I just said, God, do whatever you want in me. Even if people think I'm a fool, even if people think I'm crazy, even if I get these labels, I am absolutely convinced that this is biblical truth. And I know I have seen the power of God. And if that results in someone feeling like they received their wife back, and this lady, this dear friend, feeling like she can live in freedom again, that's worth anything. And my story, my life story, just radically changed after that. Another person came for prayer, another and another, and years later, Hope Church 
came along and so meaningful this journey of getting to have ministry times together with each one of our incoming covenant members just a time of love and a time of prayer and a time of caring for one another, a time of asking for God to move, and then the stories that have taken place. I, I love talking with covenant members who could say, it was on this date that I had my ministry time, and this is what God did in me, and how he changed me. And I just thank God so much for the extraordinary privilege that we have of walking in the power of the name of Jesus. We're currently in the series, as you know, uh, going through what normal Christianity would have been in the time of the book of Acts, what the disciples would have experienced, not, not everything that's happened over the last 2,000 years where Christianity has slowly shifted and, and changed and splintered and broken into denominational groups and been defined by culture in different parts of the world. And Instead, this is our attempt to go back 2,000 years and say, yeah, but what do we see in the scriptures? What was the reality of normal Christianity for Jesus and for the disciples? What did the early church look like? And so this has been our great privilege now for the third time to go through this series and say, well, this is what we see was important. This is what we see was important. And today it will be spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare was such a theme in the early church. Now, we know that in the beginning, God created everything. And when he created the world, uh, the angels were rejoicing, the Bible tells us. But one angel was not happy. His name was Lucifer, which means bright morning star. He was the leader of the angels. He became jealous, and he said in his heart, I will put my throne above the throne of God, and I will be like God. Lucifer went around to deceive the other angels, and one-third began to follow him rather than God. But God knows everything. He knew what those angels were thinking and doing, and so he judged them, and he sent them out of heaven. He told them that one day he would send them to a place he had prepared for them. He changed Lucifer's name to Satan. The fallen angels are now called demons. To this day, they roam about the earth trying to deceive people, so they follow Satan rather than God. But God's angels continue to serve him, always striving to bring him glory. This story is so critical to our understanding of the, the meta level, the, the, the high level of the story of Scripture. And it's the story of, that begins with God creating everything perfectly. The angels are there, the world is being created, but Satan has rebelled against God and taken a third of the angels with him. We see that in a large number of scriptures all put together to compose this story. It's in Genesis, it's in Revelation, it's in Ezekiel and Isaiah and Matthew. A large number of scriptures all compiled together, and we call it the Genesis 0.5 story. It is straight from scripture. It's just not all put in one place and also not put there chronologically. So we're just having fun with it to say, instead of, uh, since it came before Genesis 1, we'll call it Genesis 0.5, as we have uh, for a lot of years. And I think an extremely significant story that to me helps make scripture make a lot of sense. Then when you see the reality of Satan and demons all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, it triggers the reality that yes, there are two kingdoms. They are in conflict. God is the king of one. Satan is the king of other. And they both want glory. 
We are told in Isaiah 43 and 60 that God has created us for his glory. We are told in Ephesians 1 that we are saved for his glory. We are told in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So all things exist for God's glory. That's why we've all been created. Satan is here to rob that, to steal it, and to redirect that glory to himself. That's what the Genesis 0.5 story tells us. God wanted to put his throne, Satan wanted to put his throne above the throne of God so that he could receive the glory. That, that was the point. And his demons are always at work to try to subversively go after all of us so he glorifies Satan instead of God. Now those who are not yet believers or followers of God do not inherently glorify him in all of their actions because their actions are exalting themselves or in inherently in exalting the kingdom of, of Satan because we are all born into that kingdom. We have to be saved into the kingdom of God so we can save for his glory and then everything that we do in his kingdom is to bring him glory. That's why the whole mission statement of Hope Church is that we exist to glorify God in the advance of his kingdom, through our faithfulness to him. We exist to glorify God. That is our purpose. That is what we do. Satan is trying to steal that. That's the core of what spiritual warfare is all about. If Satan attacks us and we cease praying and we start worrying, he wins. If Satan goes after us and cripples us so we cannot live out the ministry that God's given for us, He's striking a blow to the kingdom of God and trying to steal that glory. If Satan gets us doubting ourselves and questioning things so much so that we are not about the work that God has for us, then Satan is again stealing the glory that God would re receive and trying to redirect it to himself. So this matter of spiritual warfare is not peripheral but foundational to our lives. Growing up in the settings that I often found myself, at times it was treated like it was peripheral. I think so many of us have had that experience so that, yes, spiritual warfare is real. We don't really allude to it unless everything's going wrong. We can't figure out what it is. Maybe we're under some spiritual attack. Instead, I think scripture is saying this is a foundational issue. This is at the core of what Christianity is all about. A war between God and Satan that will not be resolved until Revelation chapter 20 when Satan is thrown into the lake of fire and we are all in heaven where God is and Satan is not. That's the greatest thing about heaven, by the way. It's not just that. It's going to be this amazing place where God will wipe every tear from our eyes. But it's that Satan will not be there. Only God will be there. Only the presence of God will be there. That will be glorious in a way we cannot even comprehend. That is at another level. It is the presence of God that it, the presence of Satan rather, is the presence of Satan that in Genesis chapter 3 calls what we call the fall through the temptation of Eve, she sinned, Adam sinned, and everyone after them has sinned. Sin came into this world, sin's working through all of us, and we will all deal with sin until the day that we are in heaven when things are made right again. That's why God sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life on this earth, the only one who ever could. He died on the cross, and when he did, the book of Colossians tells us he made a spectacle of the powers and authorities. That's the demonic powers and authorities. He showed that he was victorious over them. The cross was the ultimate victory point in the battle. Jesus died, and he rose again, and we too will rise. 
uh, one day to be with God in heaven. If we believe in Jesus, if we trust in him, if we claim his name. The power of being in Christ is that we are covered against the things of the enemy. Not that he can't attack us, not that he can't try to cause problems, but we are covered by the name of Jesus. We are in Christ. We are glorifying God, and we will do so until the day when we are in heaven and Satan can no longer touch us or bother us in any way. That is our beautiful, glorious, eternal hope that anchors all of us as believers and followers of the Lord Jesus. So, Jesus won the victory. Satan's just trying to attack us and do whatever he can to slow down the advance of the kingdom of God. And you and I want to be sensitive to what Paul says in the scriptures where we are not unaware of the devil's schemes. We are praying as Elisha prayed for his servant. God, open our eyes so we can see. We want to see what the enemy is doing so that we can effectively pray against it. We can be on guard against it. And we can make sure we walk in the way that's right and true. I don't know how many times Sean and I have been in a situation where she and I are just frustrated. We're trying to resolve whatever that issue is in front of us. And then suddenly one of us has a sense, you know what? I think we're under spiritual attack, and it changes everything. In that moment, everything changes. Suddenly, we have this realization of, oh, this is a spiritual battle. Let's pause. Let's pray. And I tell you, Hope Family, that moment always shifts our whole demeanor. It's, oh, we're under attack. Okay, let's go to war. And we start attacking what Satan and those demons are doing in prayer, and soon enough, the breakthrough will come, and, and we'll be fine. So much of life changes for us when we can just see as God sees. God, will you help us not be unaware of what the enemy is doing? Today we're in Acts chapter 19. I hope you're, you're there with me or would invite you to turn there with me. Acts chapter 19. We've been picking select passages through the book of Acts in this normal Christianity series since it's highlighting what the early church was doing, which was normal for them. And what we're also aspiring to live out in our own lives. And today we want to consider that normal Christianity in terms of spiritual warfare. Acts chapter 19, let's begin in verse 11 as Paul was on his missionary journey. It says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. I have always loved this verse. God, I will be happy with just an ordinary miracle. Paul is getting an extraordinary miracle. And, and, and if we had time, this would be a whole different sermon. Don't worry, I'm not going there today. If we had time, we could chronicle through the book of Acts the ways that the miracles just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. I think because they are becoming increasingly close to God, increasingly filled with the Spirit of God, and He is doing His work. If you would love a, a fascinating study of the book of Acts, Hope Family, I encourage you, take the book of Acts and just watch those miracles. Watch what happens through Paul's life. You can even just take his life. Watch what happens from his moment of conversion all the way through the book of Acts and the things that take place. Another thing I want to point out, the last time I had the privilege of sharing with you, we were out of Acts 4, talking about boldness and signs and wonders, the, the demonstration, proclamation and demonstration of the kingdom of God. So if you jump back three verses with me, verse 8, and he, that's Paul, entered the synagogue for three months, spoke boldly. And then look at verse 11 again, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of God, Paul. Again, boldness and miracles, it's all the way through the book of Acts, it's all the way through it. But by this time, he's speaking boldly, and there are extraordinary miracles. It's as if the power of God is just increasingly on Paul's life. 
And we can see in Paul this deep intimacy with God. Even when, when he was saved for three days, he just prayed. He didn't eat. He just fasted and prayed. And that's how he embarked on his spiritual journey. Just this incredible, incredible story through his life. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. God was doing it. Not Paul. God was doing it. This is what God does through us. When we just desperately seek his face, cry out to him, and beg for him to move in our lives. This is what God loves to do. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Okay, I wasn't going to share this, but just feel, I really feel impressed in my heart. The other day, we got to witness what I, I personally thought was a, a clear miracle, uh, just a healing that that took place. And you know, I really rejoiced in and celebrated it. I, I thought it was just powerful. I had the privilege of seeing God work so many miracles uh, through the years and I and, uh, was just really moved, but I immediately felt convicted. Almost like, Peter, I have so much more I wanna do. Like you're, you're celebrating somebody got, got healed, but there's so much more I wanna do and I don't want you to be surprised when I do it. So I, I'm convicted even now as I'm, as I'm sharing and saying, I, I would be okay with an ordinary miracle. Not really. I mean, if this is what God has for my life for years, then bring it on. Bring on the extraordinary miracles. What does that look like? People coming back from the dead, other radical things. Bring on the extraordinary miracles. Whatever God has for you and me, let's seek it with our whole heart. He gives an example here, verse 12, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin, Paul's skin, were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Incredible. I, I would deem that extraordinary. I heard of a, a group of people actually did this. They, they prayed over a handkerchief, prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, sent it off to another country, and, and people were getting healed. I don't know. Just a story I heard. But if we read the scriptures, you and I have one of two options. We can either take it, dismiss it, and say, that was great, they experienced that, or, but I won't in my life. Or we can take it and say, that's incredible, I want to see it. God, will you do that in me? Whatever you need to do, shape, refine, change, move, stir, whatever it takes, do it in me. I'm going to fast and pray and beg of you to do these incredible things in me. And I bet he will. That's the heart of God. He is always, always looking through the earth for those women and men and kids who are just ready for him to do what he does. Verse 13, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. Presumably, they saw the power of the Lord Jesus as Paul was commanding demons out in Jesus' name and healing people in Jesus' name and doing what he was doing in Jesus' name. And these Jewish exorcists, yes, even the Jews had exorcists who were driving out demons. By the way, I have heard of so many faiths that also do, major world religions who have um, exorcists. They also have their own way of trying to deal with the demonic. And you may say, but, but aren't they inherently under the work of Satan anyway? Yes, but isn't that Satan's work to try to confuse, deceive, and divide? And so this is the type of thing he does. But watch what happens within Christianity here. The itinerant Jewish exorcists, those who are traveling around doing their exorcisms, saw the name of Jesus and recognized that that power was greater. 
And so they wanted to claim the name of Jesus in their exorcisms. So they undertook, verse 13, to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. I love that. We don't actually know Jesus, but we've heard Paul use the name of Jesus, so we're going to claim that name. Look what happens. Seven sons, verse 14, of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? You know my favorite things about this? I know that they know who Jesus is. The Bible tells us that the, the demons recognize that there is one God and they shudder. Hope family, one of the most important things for you and me is that we have no fear when it comes to spiritual warfare. If we are walking in fear, it's because we do not yet recognize the power of Jesus. With our kids, it's common, each one of them, Alice and Timothy and Titus, as they have grown up, we've... We've seen those moments where they've dealt with fear. Uh, maybe times where they've, they have felt like they're going through spiritual attack or they're in a dark room and feel like a presence is in there, whatever the case may be. And so this has been one of the key things we've been trying to disciple them in uh, over the years, obviously having compassion for the, for the reality of the fear that they are dealing with, but at the same time encouraging them in the power of the name of Jesus. When Sean and I three years ago now, over three years ago now, uh, began the discipleship that we're doing in South Sudan. It was quickly one of the things that we recognized. They are in a world there, surrounded by witch doctors and, and idols and sacrifices, everything that's happening there. And there's just a lot of fear that even people in the church are, are dealing with. And so as we began to walk through this, this is one of the key things we walk through, the power of the name of Jesus, the sovereignty of God, the reality that, that God is deity, he is God, and Satan is just a fallen angel. They, they, this is not even an equal war. This is as different as it can be. And the, the, the very African analogy that we've used is God is like a lion and Satan is like a cat. And then I came back and said, maybe that's wrong. I'm not even sure it has cat-like power. Maybe God is like an elephant and Satan is like a mouse. And so there are these great metaphors that, that now my South Sudanese brothers and sisters are, are using all the time. You know, even when we're praying together or talking together, we have no fear. We serve the lion and Satan is just like a cat. And there's something powerful for us when our theology drifts into the entirety of our actions. And we realize that, yeah, it really is true. God alone is sovereign. God alone has that type of power. And God has saved us and given us the name of his son, Jesus, that same name that put all the powers and authorities to shame that day on the cross, the book of Colossians tells us. We walk in that name. And then when we start to see the miracles and things that happen in that name, that increasingly reinforces the reality of the truth that Jesus and Jesus alone is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that's what's happened in South Sudan. As so many miracles have taken place these last three years. And you can increasingly see the reality of the truth just settle on the hearts of everyone there. Settle on my own heart. Settle on Shauna's heart. Hope settle on all of our hearts. That Jesus, the demons know who he is. They know he is, and they are utterly terrified, shuddering 
at the reality of the presence of the living God. Jesus said no, but look at this. And Paul, I recognize. Wouldn't you like to be someone that the demons recognize? Where God is so powerfully at work through your life that they know you are? Where the demons are fearful of you because you are regularly doing damage to them in the name of Jesus. Your prayers are having such an impact. Your ministry to others is causing these demons to, to have their own fear. Oh no, there she goes again. There he goes again, praying, ministering in the name of Jesus. We're going to have to leave all over again. They recognize you. Because of the way in which you walk with Jesus. Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. But then the evil spirit, the demon, says to these itinerant Jewish exorcists, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. You see, they were utilizing the name of Jesus, but they did not have the presence of Jesus. There's a huge difference. You and I could utilize any name that we know, but we don't have the presence of that name in the same way. When Jesus fills us, when his spirit is with us, when we are in his kingdom, we are considered an adopted son or daughter of God, and we walk in the authority that God has given us. The key in this story is that those Jewish exorcists were just that. They were Jewish Exorcists. They were not Christian exorcists. So we don't have any fear. If we are in Christ, of the same thing happening to us. But this should be a huge attraction to any of us who are not yet believers or followers of Jesus. We are exposed in a different way. We don't yet have that covering of Jesus over us. We don't have any story in Scripture of this type of thing happening to any follower of Jesus. But it was horrible what happened to these seven exorcists when they were beaten, stripped of their clothes, wounded, and they fled naked. Verse 17, this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, this region called Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. You see, we're either going to have fear of Satan or God, and this is what happens in life. We often deal with this fear. Is Satan going to come after us? Or do we have a holy reverence of the living God? And if we do, it's not a, a fear of God, like we're scared of him in a bad way, but a healthy reverence of him. He's a living God. And the more that we recognize how big he is, the more we can't help but have that sense of fear of him. And the more we recognize how big he is and have that sense of fear, the less we're worried about the power of Satan. Because God is so much bigger than that. And so we just rest in him. We do war, we battle, we pray but we're at peace because we know that he's got us. Fear fell upon them all. No longer were they concerned about Satan in the same way if they were battling that because now it was just the fear of the living God. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. By the way, this is back to that same pattern, boldness and signs and wonders. God is again bringing the signs and wonders. He just did a, a sign and wonder here or or. Satan, rather, through the work of the demons, it was done. But still, it was this, this same principle, the same idea of something dynamic that happened to get the attention of the people. And in that regard, turning them towards God. It's the exact same thing that happens with miracles. Miracle takes place. You recognize, whoa, 
that is something not of this world. I don't have that power. Where did that power come from? I want to hear more. And that's where the boldness comes in. So this pattern of boldness and signs and wonders, proclamation and demonstration, all the way through the scripture, even in different ways that it plays out like here, because it played out in this way, it opened the door for Paul and his companions to share the gospel, and they were already doing so boldly so that more people could hear. Verse 18, also many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. So one of the biggest things here, our discipleship of those who may gather in the church on Sunday but still have idols in their home and this encouragement to come and confess and, and, and lay it down and let's burn those idols and hope family we need the same thing. How many of us may come to church on Sunday but... We have our own things that we're hanging on to. Yeah, maybe it's not a, a wooden idol. Maybe it's not a plant that is also an idol. Maybe it's not some other type of idol that, that the people in many African contexts may have and also other parts of the world. In the Western world, maybe it's not that, but maybe there's something else that we put ahead of Jesus. Maybe something we treasure more than Jesus. Maybe something that we struggle to to surrender because we, we, we're just holding on to it. And today I want to encourage you in just a minute to come for prayer and, and just confess that. And to just live out what the believers in the book of Acts were doing, just confessing and, and, and saying, this is what I'm dealing with. And maybe it's not a physical um, idol in the sense of something you're offering a sacrifice to, but maybe it is something else that you're treasuring ahead of the Lord Jesus. And, and God's work will always be hindered in our lives when we're not walking in that full surrender. Those of us who say, oh, I so badly want to see his miracles. I want to see him work. I want to do damage. I want the demons to know my name for his glory. But we might be hindered in that if we're not yet to the point where everything is laid on the line. And it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It is really hard. Maybe it's family Maybe it's our reputation. Maybe it's whatever it is. But I want to implore us with all the love in my heart, this exhortation to us as a Hope family and guests and, and covenant members and just when we have a time of prayer just to come and just say, hey, this, this is what it is. This is what I'm struggling with. Not, not, not I've arrived, but just this is where I am. Will you pray for me that I'll be able to lay this down? That I'll be able to walk, walk out of of this. I, I am treasuring this more than Jesus. I have not yet been able to, to lay it down you know, before him. And let's just conf confess, just, bo just boldly, just say, I, I want Jesus more than I want my own comfort and my, my own life. I, I want him. I want God's glory. I don't want Satan winning in an area of my life. I don't want him to, to deceive me or just make me think it's okay to live with, with unsurrender in one or more areas. I, I want to experience the fullness of God in that absolute surrender. I want to encourage this whole family. This is big. This is big for us. And, and I'm praying, even as I'm sharing now, I'm just praying that we're able to receive this and let the Spirit do His work in us in power. Verse, nine, verse 18, Now, so many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts, so maybe witchcraft, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, which is what we're constantly doing in South Sudan, just burning those, those idols. And I say we, it's really the church leaders who are out there doing such an incredible job, and I'm really, really um, overwhelmingly blessed by it. And they counted the value of them 
and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver because they found something better, because there was something of greater worth, and that's the glory of God through his son Jesus, who has saved us and called us to himself and want to advance his kingdom for his glory through our faithfulness to him. They counted the value of them. Found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Verse 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. I want to implore us as a hope family to have open eyes to the ways that the enemy is working. To not allow him to have those Ephesians 4 footholds in our life. But instead, we those who confess, who walk with him, and who pray. Really, really pray. Do you know how you can tell those who get spiritual warfare? They're the ones who really pray. Those are the ones who pray with a fervor, with a passion, with a desperation. Those are the ones who don't just pray the passing prayers, but they are really leaning in. Those are the ones who are, are hungering. They get it. But those are also the ones who don't walk in fear because they have recognized the great and living God. And the only fear they have is a sense of fear and reverence for him. Oh, family, I love you so much. What an incredible joy to be on this journey that we have had together for so many years. And to see the way that God has moved against so many demonic forces has brought such joy. And I believe there's another layer he wants to take us to, another level where our eyes are even more open, where we're pressing in even deeper as we're praying over ourselves and our families and each other. And I especially want to even just give a charge to the dads out there to, to really cover your family. Go to war over your wife. Go to war over your kids and then really cover them in the name of Jesus. Teach your kids in the way of the Lord. Let them understand the reality of this war. Teach them to pray and teach them to go to war. So many of us, it wasn't until we were adults that we finally realized the reality of this spiritual battle. And we have the opportunity as, as parents, dads and moms to raise up our kids in the, in the knowledge of scriptural truth and to pray against it. And then dads is, and, and husbands, as you're praying over your wives and praying over your kids, just cover them. Cover them, even as the elders are seeking to cover the church. Let's do that together so the power of God will move in us and through us for his glory. Let me ask you to stand, music team, and our prayer team. Thank you for leading us, for coming and leading us. I would love to be able to pray for us now, but before I do, I just want to encourage you. If, if any of this touched your heart, just come for prayer. Just just get up and do it. Let, let's just cover one another now. Let's go to war together now for God to do his work in us and through us in power. Let's not satisfy ourselves with something less than all that God has for us. Let's pray together. Lord, I am so full of joy and gratitude, thanksgiving and anticipation of what you're going to do. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you have given us the powerful name of Jesus in our lives. We are not worthy. But when we walk in the name of Jesus, things happen. I just have flashbacks. Even now as I'm praying, so many people have been healed. Demons that have been driven away. Radical, radical things that you have, have done. Things that I never dreamed in my life I would ever see, but they've happened. By the name of Jesus, those who couldn't have babies who, 
who do now. Those who had diseases that were so debilitating, I didn't ever think they'd get healed, but you healed them. God, this is what you do by your power. And I pray that you'd open our eyes, let us see what the enemy is doing. Let us fight effectively against that, not by our power, but yours. Help us have fear of you and you alone with that reverence and awe at the magnificence of who you are. God, please do not let us downplay who you are, but let us see you for who you are. And I pray that you move in us in power. I pray now as we move into this time of prayer, may we be protected against anything the enemy would want to do to hinder this. May your spirit empower us as we come quickly for prayer and empower each one of us and our prayer team as we are praying. Holy Spirit, we just stir in this place. Move in power. You shift us and change us and advance your kingdom for the glory of your name right now. I pray this with joy and anticipation in Jesus' name. Amen.